0: When he says church, I, I saw an interesting study the other day. It was a um, um, sociologist from India, and he, he just came across this thought. I wonder what gives something value. And so he gave a group of people, about 100 people during the course of several months of testing, um, several pieces of, of just blank eight and a half by 11 white paper. And then he gave them a, another piece of paper that had instructions on it of how to make something, to fold a, a paper crane, an origami crane. And when they he was give them two hours and if they could completed one, then they did one that was a little bit more difficult and a little bit more difficult until they got as many done as they could, you know, in that two-hour time frame. Now at the end of it, it was their paper, it was their money. They'd paid these people who volunteered to do this. They gave them $10 or $20, whatever it was. But at the end of it, they said, how many of you guys like what you made? And by and large, people said, you know, I started off kind of rough, but I, I am kind of proud of this one. And so they gave them the opportunity to buy back the one that they were most proud of. And they said, now, we're not going to tell you what the price of it is, but what, would you, what are you willing to pay for this? And so they came up with, with an amount of money, and they said, you know, this is 100% of what I will pay. And they said, okay, that's great. We also have other ones that other people have made that have done this as well. Some are better than yours. Some are equal to yours, but they, they have a value as well. Would you like to buy any of these these other ones? And what they found out was the person who set a value on what they had made, that they had ownership of, it was five times greater than something that was actually better than they had made, but this was theirs. That makes sense? Someone else folded this, and they said, well, I'll pay you $5 for this one because I'm kind of proud of it. I want to show my mom. I want to I put it on the refrigerator. I want to give it to my grandson. But this one over here that somebody else made, they're like, well, it's, it's nice. It's actually better than mine. They got further down the road. They got more complicated sculptures. That's much better than mine, but it, it has about a dollar's worth of value to the $5 worth of value that I have here. And, and today, I tell you that story because we're going to take a look at the early church once more, the Ecclesia. Remember, there's the Kirch. How many of you guys have been here the last two weeks? You know the difference between Ecclesia and Kirch. Ecclesia being those which are called out and up to be with Jesus. The Kirch being the dramatic derivation, and write that down on your blog today and look smart, right? The dramatic derivation of that. It means more the institution, the place, the thing, the guy that does the stuff at the time. And the Ecclesia is an organic living organism. The Kirch is an institution that comes and goes and has lots of empty buildings in our world today. So we're going to take a look at why is it that? the early church was so successful. Like, what happened? You say, well, God was God back then in a different way than he is today. How many of you guys know God's still God no matter what generation? So there, there really was, we can't say, well, God was in a better mood 2,000 years ago, but now because of what is happening on CNN, he's just all mad at the air. Like, that's not true, right? God is God in every generation. There's no shadow of turning in him. So it all started, really, with the greatest crud moment in human history. And that's, this day was, um, Jesus has been crucified. It's the day of Pentecost now, 50 days after the beginning of this Passover season has passed. And God sends his spirit and uh, 120 people get baptized in the Holy Spirit in an upper room in, in the temple court area. And it spills out into the temple courts and people gather and Peter stands up. Remember the Peter that was the coward at the, the campfire with, with the, the servant girl? You know, you're, you're one of the, the Jesus' disciples because I am not. I don't know him, denies him three times. Peter, without the presence, without the, the infilling, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, doesn't have an answer for the simplest of accusations. But now Peter, baptized in the Holy Spirit, stands up in front of thousands and says, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. How many of you guys know when that happens? There's kind of an oh, crud moment, right? He says this, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, oh, crud. Like, we crucified the promised Son of God. Our Savior was executed by our words shouting at Roman officials, pagan officials, give us Barabbas. We are in huge trouble. Peter, they said, what are we going to do? We're in big trouble. Peter replied, repent. That's what you're supposed to do. Brothers, what should we do? Be, repent. Change the course of your life. Change your directions. Change what you believe. Just just alter from this way to this way and everything's gonna be okay. Turn towards Jesus, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everything you just saw us get, that what you're wondering, are we drunk? Are we filled? Whatever it is, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, this promise for the Holy Spirit's for you, it's for your children, it's for all who are far off. It's for all whom the Lord our God shall call. People say, you know, does God still do miraculous stuff today? It's for all whom the Lord our God shall call. Well, was not that just for the apostolic age? It's for all whom the Lord our God shall call. Well, are we really called? It's for all. It's not for this generation. It's for the next generation. It's not just for the Jews in Jerusalem. It's for the Samaritans. It's for the uttermost parts of the earth. It's for every generation. God is good. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters are prophesying. Your, your, your young men will have visions. Your, your old men will dream dreams. Like, no one's going to be left out of the good things God's doing. So for us to have, well, it seems like that ended. Uh, Well, it didn't end. Maybe we changed, but God didn't. So there's always this invitation to come back into that apostolic move. There's always this invitation for what I guess we'd call revival or renewal or a great service or a powerful night. Really, it's just heaven coming to earth, right? 3,000 people repented. They changed course that day. And and they did it because they did the same thing Peter did, as we've been talking about the last two weeks. They looked and they said, you know, this Jesus whom we crucified as both Lord and Christ. You are the Christ. You're the Son of the Living God. Jesus said, "I'm going to build my church on anybody that believes that. On this rock, this profession of faith, this confession, this knowing who I am. On the rock of knowing that I am the Son of God, I will build my ecclesia." Now, what does the first fruits of ecclesia look like? how's it function, what's its culture. Let's continue, right? Acts 2.4.2, 2. that'd be a great name for a great church, would Acts 2.4.2. They devoted themselves to the, the Brighton area. Now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. By the way, this wasn't organized. This just happened. Everyone. How many people? Man, they're filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. It's just commonplace. It's happening every day that's being done by the apostles. and All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. This isn't mine. This is ours. This isn't my home, my coat, my, my food. This is ours. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Some people say it's communion. Some people say it's hanging out eating. I say it's good either way, right? Uh, And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. How many of you guys want to go to that church? Let me ask you again. How many of you guys want to go to that church? Okay, Here's, here's what we don't know sometimes the difference between that church and this church is not God. Let me say it again. The difference between that church and this church is not the structure, it's not the time that it meets, it's not the language that it speaks. The difference between that church and this church is other things. We're going to take a look at that today. Why, why is it we don't live in that church? Why is it we're not a part of that movement? Why is it, you know, what has changed? Is it us? Is it culture? Is it MTV? Is it the media? Is it politics? Is it American? Is it, is it weeds amongst seeds? Is it, what, what is it? We're going to take a look at this today. Three things I want to show you in this text that I believe is for us and explain why faith in Jesus seemed to have a greater value to people back then than maybe it does today. You guys ready for this? I'm not here to step on your toes. I'm not. I'm here to break both your legs. Let's do this. You ready? Here we go. This is why. I think the number one reason why it had a five times greater value was that God was, was not a God or the God or some God. He was their God. These were people, all of them universally have said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They'd gone from orphans and a very difficult legal system whereby if they were good enough, they might be good enough to be good enough, but they were never good enough. All the blood of every ram, all the blood of every bull, all the blood of every dove, of every pigeon, of everything they could sacrifice to God only covered a sinfulness they all knew they carried with them everywhere they went. But they were never free. I can't imagine what it must be like to just know you're gonna screw up just so you can be forgiven. So you can screw up just so you can be forgiven. So you can screw up just so you can be forgiven. How many of you guys wanna be free once and for all? How many of you guys wanna know that with the he who the sun sets free free, and it is for freedom Christ has set us free, that we're not yoked again to this bondage of slavery. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Romans 7, Romans 8. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, who leads us forever in triumphal procession. We are to be living in victory, not in bondage, repeating cycles of, oh, forgive me, oh, forgive me, oh, forgive me. Oh, it's good, oh, it's good, oh, it's good. Oh, it's bad. Oh, forgive me, oh, forgive me, right? We're not supposed to live in in cyclical uh, defeat. We're supposed to live in cyclical victory, from glory to glory to glory, as we grow from faith to faith to faith. They went from orphan to sons to heirs. They were born again, John 3.3. 3. There are new creations in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17. They, they, were, they were being transformed by the renewing of their mind, Romans 12.2. This was an actively engaged, loving Jesus. There ain't some God. It's, it's the one God and he's my God group of people. Your free will, your mind, your time, your heart, your soul, your strength. There's an all attached to it. And that all in their day, was attached to this this idea that we're rescued. We're so grateful we're saved from. We're so grateful we're saved for. We're, we're so grateful. It wasn't like I got to make time to say a quick prayer. I got to make time to find to squeeze God in some. I got to f- if I just listen to Smile FM, that then I'll I'll be thinking more about that. But if I listen to Jay Z, then I have to listen to twice as much Smile FM, and if I. If I have French fries, I have to drink two Diet Cokes to counteract the caloric intake. Uh, guys, there was no balancing act. There was no adding Jesus to their life. There was a surrender of their life to a Lord who had died to save them. They were so grateful. Can you imagine going from, oh, crud? How are we going to get out of this one? We killed God's son. How are you doing? Uh, killed God's son. How are you doing? Oh, I thought I was having a bad day till I met you. They went from, we killed God's son... That God's son wasn't murdered by our hand. He was born to die in our place. And by professing, by recognizing, he's not just some religious leader or some historical figure or something to say when I stub my toe. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. There wasn't anybody in the room that didn't say that. Wasn't anybody in the room that didn't believe that. Wasn't anybody in the room that hadn't been born again, altered, renewed, fulfilled by that knowledge. Can you see how that would create a dynamic within a church that would be very different from, say, the local kirch, the ecclesiastical, but not the ecclesia? You walk in, and okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to say that, and then we're going to sing this, and then we're going to sit down, then we're going to kneel, then we're going to stand, they we're going to repeat this and do this, and we're all looking at our watches every three minutes. It feels like it's been ten minutes, but it's only been three. Can you see where, where that is so pale in comparison, such a, such a shell, such a skin that's been shed, such a tradition that has no life in it, when what we're called to be is his, to know him, to be set free by him. Nothing was impossible. This was their faith. They treasured it. And like the origami sculpture that had a greater value because it was theirs than the, than the origami sculpture that someone else had made, it, it just multiplied in its intensity and in its flavor. It, it wasn't a drug problem. They weren't drugged to church by their, by their grandmother. They, if they had been there that day, it ended that day when they were born again. Everything changed. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. The, the, the dead were raised, and I'm meaning this in metaphor, but I guess literally as well. They're just like heaven had come to earth and all they could think about, all they wanted to talk about, all they did when they were together, praying and meeting in the homes and breaking bread and having communion. In the Lord said, so it, it was just happening. No one's saying, now on Thursday at 2 o'clock, there'd be a class on breaking bread. Everybody bring your own bread. Bring your own break. Because we don't have a budget for bread or for break. So give us a break. Bring your bread. You know, they just didn't exist. There's nothing structured, but as living people who had been born again, everything had changed. I got to move on. I'm sorry. The point is this. It had five times the value of the faith they were taught because it wasn't a faith they were taught. It was a faith that had attached itself to them. Their God was a consuming fire. Second thing is other believers. They were just people that went to my church. They were, they were their people. They took personal responsibility for the needs of the believers around them. They, they trusted the apostles, they trusted each other. But you understand the system. Somebody says, hey, "I just sold my vacation property up north, and here 's you know three hundred thousand dollars i 'm using a, a, a modern day t- you know terms, but and they just came and they put it on the altar, and the apostles go that 's great man. God bless you." You know, God will reward you for the seeds you plant. And then behind the person that sold the vacation property up north, there was, a, there was a sea of widows and orphans and travelers and people who didn't have jobs there. These thousands of people, they didn't live there. They lived somewhere else. They came there. They had no homes. They had no jobs. They, they had no fields to plant. They were dependent on the kindness and, and the, the generosity of others. And the people who were generous trusted the apostolic leadership, and, and then they trusted the people receiving what had been once theirs. Does this make sense? The dynamic's incredible, and, and I wouldn't know how to begin to repeat it. Now, everybody go sell your property up north, lay it on the altar. Jeff will count it. And, and like, it. There was a trust that wasn't just towards authority. There was a trust towards each other. No one would ask to be given food if they didn't have some other, no other way to feed themselves. No one would ask for a place. No one would ask for rent. No one would ask for a cell phone. No one. This was, this was unemployment before there ever was unemployment. And there was no audits. There was no paperwork. There was no bureaucracy. There was just someone saying, I have a need. And someone saying, that's great because someone else just sold the property up north. Can you even imagine what this must have looked like? You see me you're looking at me like, are you telling me to do this? I'm telling you that when God and his people first got together, there was something happening that was so deeply trusting of who God was and who each other were and how well they were being led that people didn't think twice about doing things that we think twice about. Come on, how many you guys are already thinking twice? The whole thing frightens me a little, to be honest with you. Somebody today said, yeah, I sold my property up north because you taught it. I'd be like, oh, no, no, I, I was teaching something. I wasn't saying do this. I wasn't telling you to obey. I mean, it's not like I wouldn't cash a check and go feed people. Bob and Jim would have a great auction this week, would they not, you know what I mean? Food pantry would be, store, be stored up, but I'm not teaching you to do this. I'm saying, do you, see, do you see the dynamic that happens when God shows up and people trust him and each other? Stuff like this was normal, right? And the point I'm trying to make is, is that the people, they had a five times value of other people because they were their people. Like, we all had the same experience. I gotta keep moving. The mission was their mission, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. They weren't stumbling in. They were being talked to. They were observing. They were asking questions. People didn't know much about what they knew. They were sharing. People didn't have much about what they had. They were sharing. People didn't know how really how to pray. They had repeated prayers they'd been taught, but now they're talking to a God who's listening. But they're, they're growing in their faith and they're exercising this. And they're, they're, it's pretty incredible. 2017, we dedicated as the year that we all take personal responsibility for our own spiritual growth. How many guys remember 2017? It was about eight years ago now, it feels like, right? 2017, the year we take personal responsibility for our own spiritual growth. If I'm not being taught, I should get taught. I should find a class. I should get in a life group. I should go to iGrow. I should listen to a podcast. I should get into a fellowship. Iron sharpens iron. We did a series of sermons for the entire summer. We did did orphans to heirs. You are taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth. 2018 is the year we begin to take responsibility for more than just ourselves. In deeper ways. In greater expressions. What's this community to you? What does it mean to you? Who are the people around you? What does it mean to them? Piano guy, come join me if you would, please. What is this community to you? And the point is, you know, again, the, the mission had this greater value than it would just appear than other missions because it was their mission. They embraced it. And I want to say this. Are you guys still doing okay? i have rushed you the sermon. I just had no choice but to do it. I hope you guys are getting this. You getting this? If we fail to love God at that level, it isn't God that we should blame. Come on. If we fail to love each other at that level, you, you can't blame CNN. You can't blame God. You can't blame me because it's our will that, that we exercise in order to begin to do this. If we, if we fail to love this mission to reach this community, and by the way, can I tell you something? We've got a great community. There's, the jobs are back, the restaurants are full. You know, the cars are new. The houses are getting painted and bought and sold. And, but our community needs Jesus just like it always needed Jesus. When that snow thaws out and you walk the streets, we do a lot of walking and running and all that kind of stuff. So we, we see this, um, this city at a much slower pace than the person that drives through it. I'd say every, every 10th, every 15th house, there's a liquor bottle just sitting out in front and someone chucked out the window. That's a kid that doesn't want to get caught drinking. That's an alcoholic that... It's gonna cause vodka almost always because vodka doesn't smell like whiskey or bourbon or tequila smells. People are hiding their, their addictions, and that's just the addictions we can find out. I suppose we got everybody's IP addresses. We'd see who's addicted to stuff on the internet. We monitored everybody's checkbook. We'd find out who was addicted to whatever. Like our our city guys. It, 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 yes, it needs good government. Yes, it needs good police. Yes, yes, it needs you know the gazebo to be repainted. Yes, it needs the weeds killed in the mill pond. But really what our city needs more than anything else is just Jesus. And so if we fail to do this, I, I like that moment in the service. It wasn't planned. But how many of guys want to go to that church? We're like, yeah, I want to go to that church. You're like, okay. The difference between that church and this church is, is not the time. It's, nice. it's, it's, it's not God. It really is decisions we make. Today you're going to walk out. People are going to say, do you want to be a part of a small group, an agro class? you want to come help work Saturday doing stuff? Do you want to get involved? Hey, you want to go to Haiti? Hey, you want to go to Africa? Hey, I think we got a trip going to Japan now or something. I think we're going back to Eastern Europe to care for orphans. It's like we're, we're going across the street, we're going across the ocean. Team's going to Australia this year. Like What I'm saying is this. If we come to this and we leave and we treat it like a church, then we get out of it what we can only get out of a church, which is the place, the time, the thing, check the box, go back to your life. But the early church had no such box to check. What they had was a God that they were in love with and loved them. What they had was a people they were committed to what they had was a mission that they died for and many of them did so who do you say I am Jesus said this to the disciples and Peter said you're the Christ you're the son of the living God who who do you say we are as you look around this room who are these people in this room to you are they any more valuable to the people you're going to run into at Mega later on or Walmart tonight if the answer is no then we're not really an ecclesia are we And this is, oh, I feel so convicted and guilty. Good, I want you to feel terrible. That's why I became a pastor. The money, the fame, and shame. That's all I wanted from this life. I'm not not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm trying to expose that there may be something more that God has created than what we now know. Because if you don't know who you are, then we can't be who we are. And it begins with knowing who Jesus is. I'm trying to simply say this to you guys. There's questions we need to answer. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and answer them right here, right now. Come on, everybody, stand to your feet. I went six minutes over. But still, that's 10 minutes less than I normally get. So, Father, I know that your word has an effect in a moment that my words will never have in an eternity. We saw a picture today, a brief one, but a picture... What it was like to be in a strange town with people that had different cultures, that had nothing in common but you, and how beautifully that that one common denominator was more than enough for them to figure it all out—to appoint deacons, to resolve issues, to put down the the winds of accused racism—to. To, to see it all and, and, and statements like it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit and so we did these things God I thank you for the early church but we pray today that we wouldn't put on togas and grow beards and try to duplicate the culture we can't but what we can do is invite the same heaven and the same God of heaven the same king of this kingdom into our hearts into this fellowship and into the world. So we bow before our King. And with humility in our heart we invite you to come and to stay. Where two or more gather together in your name, your promises, you're there. He said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He said, I'm enthroned on the praises of people. There's a there's a throne that somewhere in the, the spiritual realm or the metaphoric realm, there, there's, there's, a, there's a throne, and we want you sitting on it as a king, declaring what is true, and we will obey. I pray, God, in the days to come as we get into these groups or spread mulch together or, you know, just iron sharpens iron in proximity, God, I, I pray that we would begin to take a greater responsibility and therefore a greater value would be added to what this all means to be us generosity God and trust trusting you trusting each other trusting the leadership I pray that the vision would be clear concise God I ask that we would accomplish this mission the older I get the shorter it feels this thing called life God And I, I just pray let us do not just good or better than let us do what we are called to do if you're not right with God today who do you say he is You say He's the Savior of the world, then He can save you. If you say He's a good teacher, then enjoy the teaching, but you ain't saved. You say He's the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the prophesied, promised deliverer of all mankind. And you reach out to Him today, and you call on His name, you will be saved. If you need that, call on His name right now. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Give me a clean slate. Run to me. Put a ring on my finger, a robe on my back, sandals on my feet. I need you, and no one less than you will do. So, you need to make a fresh commitment to what it means to be a church, not just to go to one, but to be one. You cannot simply go to a place an hour every week or two or three and call yourself a part of it. You're a satellite that spins an orbit around it, but you're not on it. You're not in it. And I, I'm, boy, this is stronger than I thought I was going to go here, but here it is. I'm calling to correction. Right here, right now, I'm calling to correction the idea that going to a place every once in a while is, is what is required or what is important that you could get out of something that you put nothing into. Listen to it. You cannot make withdrawals from a field that you have not planted in. You cannot make withdrawals from a bank that you've not made deposits in. God's responsible for increase, but you're responsible to begin the process that God can increase. You've been orbiting the place, but you haven't landed. It's time for you to make a decision here. It's time for you to make a decision elsewhere. That's fine. There's only one church. It belongs to God. It meets in many rooms. But you need to get locked in, and you need to start sharing who you are and getting healed and healing others, getting fed and feeding others. You can't just go to church. you got to be the church. And then there's a mission. Father, I pray, let our mission be clear and concise. We are here in the Tri-County area as a lighthouse, sending out a beacon of hope. We're here to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, both at home and abroad. We're a church for unchurched and de church people. We're here to heal broken hearts and to fill empty ones. We're here to send people out that have been healed, saved, and filled to accomplish what you created them to do. That's who we are. God, bless that mission. Bless that mission, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You guys, all right? Altar workers, move forward. Nobody else move. Just altar workers, please. If you're moving, you're not an altar worker, deacons are taking names. That's all I'm saying. They want to know who the new deacons are going to be, and they're taking down your name. God bless you, Freedom Center. If this were my last sermon, I'd be happy with it. These are the last words you ever heard me speak. I, I would be happy that these were the last words you ever heard me speak. These are words that we can live by. Amen? These are words we can live by. Words that God will build his kingdom on. If we had not had a chance to meet yet, um, I'm going to go sit back in that back room and drink coffee until Tony Brown feeds me food. You're welcome to join me for coffee. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, let's talk. Let's hang out. And it would be my honor just to get to know you. In the meantime, may the Lord bless you. May you be a light in a dark world. May he just give you such grace. May he give you courage to cross an aisle and make a new friend even this morning. May you know his love so deeply that it, it doesn't just affect you. It, it uh, condemns you from a normal life and propels you into something supernatural. You are dismissed. As an army unleashed, go now and find some poor unsuspecting sinner. I just love the crud out of her. Amen. You're dismissed. Any need prayer.